Welcome to another episode of the Finance and Property Survival Guide. My name's Damien. I'm a 24-year-old from Newcastle, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the most important things that I needed going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases, and investing were never talked about or explained in any great detail. I want the Survival Guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week I'll endeavour to speak to and learn from some of those in the industry to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. Uh, The episode you're going to listen to right now is another instalment of Finance and Property with Money Saver Home Loans. Uh, So I talk with our regular weekly guest, Dave, from Money Saver Home Loans. He's my dad. I work under him at Money Saver Home Loans. We discuss some of the latest news and current events coming through within finance and property uh, this week. Some of the things we discussed were the best interest duty changes that the government wants to implement, some of the regulatory lending changes that the government is talking to the big four banks about uh, discussing and implementing over the next coming months, as well as some of the price predictions for Australia's property market in the, in the next couple of years. Uh, We got a little deep in the weeds at some points of this podcast, so feel free to pause it and Google any definitions that you find uh, confusing, but we tried to make it as easy to understand as possible. If you enjoy what we're doing on the show, please share it around to any of your friends. My goal of this show is to get more young people like myself interested in finance and interested in investing and wanting to set themselves up with more wealth in in the future for themselves. Uh, I think this is a good way to get the information out there, and I hope you find it as informative as I am finding it too. Uh, So share it to your friends. Follow us on Facebook at the Finance and Property Survival Guide. If you follow us on Spotify or subscribe to us on podcasting platforms, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you have any critique, anything you'd like to add, anything you love about the show, please feel free to email me at damien at moneysaverhomeloans.com.au. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. First thing we're going to cover was not really news so much Uh as um, we've talked about before in the past that um, mortgage brokers are either something that people don't know a ton about or they have negative ideas towards the purpose and the... uh, positives of having a broker so yeah. I get what I wrote down that I wanted to talk to you about was like explain if you can like a, a, a basic process of a broker and you personally what are your aims and goals because there was some news during the week that I read too that they're talking about how sometimes with with having a client it's not just as it's not just uh, it doesn't just come down to what interest rate you're on. There's yep. so much more to finding a good product, a good loan for a customer. Can you sort of just break down what your aims and goals are going to be? Yeah, cool. So the first thing, um, so yeah, so if you need finance, you've got a couple of options. Um, you know, go to your bank or a bank. Um, so you can go on their branch or you can go online or you can come to a broker. So you've got, got two options there. So if you, we've talked about before, if you walk into, um, I don't know, Beyond Bank, um, they will have like an offset loan, fixed rate loan, variable loan. Um, Sorry, basic variable loan with no offset. So um, you've got their options and that's it. If you come to a broker, you've got Beyond Bank, Bendigo Bank, Newcastle Permanent, the, the majors, ING, Suncorp Heritage, you've got... You know, we're, we're accredited with about 15 or 16 lenders 
that we can choose from. Um, so we give you more choice. Um, a broker will also meet you after hours and on weekends and not make you go into a branch mm. to go meet them or march to their tune. So the first thing we do with clients is get a full understanding of what they're trying to achieve. Right. So what are they looking, where, where are they looking to buy, why are they looking to buy, if they're an owner-occupier, you know, how long are they going to be in the house for? Um, is it the best spot for them in view of their lifestyle, budget, all those sorts of things? If it's the investor, it's more about the numbers. So where's the growth happening? Yeah. Is where they're looking to buy a good spot? We'll always give them our opinion. Um, try and put them in contact with people who have that sort of expertise to try and help them make money because you, know, you can buy where you live, which we've talked about before, but that may not be the best place, um, you know, to, to give you, um, um, you know, what you're looking for in a property. So um, we take people through the process of getting a loan, so getting all the documentation together, um, making sure they're not spending too much money on rubbish, yeah. um, that sort of thing, lodging the loan application, responding to any questions yeah. from the bank, and then um, once the loan's approved, either assisting them in the purchase process or if it's a lot of refinance, helping them to get the loan settled. Right. And then and then every six to 12 months, we'll contact our clients just to make sure they're okay, that everything's all right. If they're looking to upgrade, renovate, change their loan, they're not happy, um, whatever, um, helping them with that process. So it's, it's very proactive. So a lot of people say that with their bank, they never hear from them. Like we're, we're customers of a big bank and I don't think we've heard from them in probably ever. So, um, yeah, so that's what brokers do. And it's all, for most brokers, it's a free service. For most customers, it's a free service. Um, if you need something done that's quite complex or requires a lot of time, um, you know, some brokers may charge you a small fee. But, um, you know, if you went to a lawyer, they don't work for free. So yeah, that's, that's sort of how it works, yeah. And something you spoke, we spoke about this yesterday too. That like, you've had people describe what you can, what you'll do with a lot of clients as being their finance dad. Yeah. And like, sitting down with them and saying like, we don't know. We, you you don't also you don't just want to get them into a good loan. You also want to try and help them set up better habits for handling and managing their money. Yeah. Because whether they're just trying to buy a house to live in and they don't have any interest in investing or not, it you want to actually set them up with some good habits that will pay dividends down the line and mm -hmm. they'll just be a bit more wise for it in terms yeah. of money. Yeah, so like took, we, you know, we went down and saw some clients on the Central Coast yesterday just buying their first house and talked to them about not just making minimum repayments on their loan. Yeah. So their repayments are, you know, 600 bucks a week or something. Um, and talk to them about putting, making them 650 a week. So they won't miss the 50 bucks and each year they'll pay two and a half grand extra off their loan. So after four years, that'll be 10 grand. And after 10 years, if they're still there, 25 grand, which compounds in their favour down. So yeah. it's about making little changes um yeah because you know lots of little things i i like it a bit to like you know if you if you bench press 40 kilos and you want to bench press 80 you don't go from 40 to 80 you incrementally make your way up to 80 kilos yeah. and 
um, making money is similar to that. It's it's about incremental things. It's about you know most people um, don't get rich quick. They yeah. get rich slow. So yeah. um, that's There's not really an overnight success. No, from what yeah, I've most done. overnight successes have been whacking away at it for fifteen years. Yeah, um, we'll click on to like the first bit of news we're going to cover. So. Um, Something that Simon Presley spoke about on the podcast I've done with him was the worry that he has that Australia is going to have a supply problem in terms Mm -hmm. of rentals. Um, And the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales CEO, Tim McKibben, was speaking about um, the the same issue, that Sydney has a supply problem. Um, First home buyers might have a drop in activity due to that. And he believes that the only solution might be to improve housing affordability by the government maybe trying to um, put infrastructure together to increase supply. Mm -hmm. Do you have a bit of an idea of what he means and what the government's options could be to help fix the situation? Yeah. Well, at the moment, like, we've got a client um, who wanted to build... They own land in Newcastle, building a house. Mm. It's gone to get approval, and it took... 14 weeks to get approved. It's just for a basic house. And so that's that's the application. It took 14 weeks for a bank yeah. to look No, no, 14 oh. weeks for council to approve the house. Oh, okay, the biggest problem we have, I think, is we have too much government. Um, there's too much red tape. Um, yeah, at the moment, it's a bit like we talked about this morning about the roads. The problem we've got is there's lots of, you know, at, at the moment, we're in a bit of a weird situation. We were in, as Simon mentioned on your podcast, we had a housing undersupply before the pandemic. Now there's more demand for property, so there's more people trying to... There's more chip, uh, more seagulls yeah. and chips. Part of the problem, and the NAB guy said it at the um, Senate committee he was at, he said the problem we've got is there's not enough supply. So the government can talk about... Um, you know, getting APRA and ASIC to lean on the banks and, you know, raising capital ratios and all this sort of stuff. But at the moment, <clears throat> there's not enough properties for the demand. So um, it'll it'll balance itself back out because what normally happens is a lot of people come and build things right. and then eventually the buyers get soaked up by that and then we'll have a thing where there'll be too much supply. That's just sort of generally how it works. But at the moment, yeah, it's a, it seems a bit out of control, but it sort of a, reminds me a bit of 2016 and 2017 when there was, um, like, record auction clearance rates and, you know, you we go to open homes around here in Newcastle and there'd be, like, 50 or 60 people trying to get into them. We're sort of back to those days. But, you know, 2018, 2019, you could swing a cat at open home and not hit anyone. There's no one there. Mm. So I think it's just um, yeah, one of those issues that at the moment, because interest rates are so low, the cost of buying is probably less than it is renting if you can get a rental. So that's okay. sort of, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, next bit of news um, that we're going to cover a bit more at length in another part of the podcast too. So um, all of the big four banks were talking to a parliament inquiry over the week, talking about housing prices, 
where they think the economy's going, how are they faring with COVID and all those things. So making reports on who's still in mortgage arrears, mm-hmm. um, who's still on deferral payments, who is now going into hardship, things yeah. like that. So there's a few stats I wanted to show you. So um, uh, Matt Komen, who's the ComBank CEO, yeah. stated that riskier investor lending accounted for 60% of applications in 2015 compared to 24% currently. Um just letting people know that the the sort of investment loans they're allowing now are a little more safe, maybe, mm-hmm. than they were six years ago. Uh, that was sort of a similar thing from the Westpac CEO. Uh, unemployment rate fell from 58 to 5.6% in March. Um, the economy more than doubling the market predictions by adding 70,000 jobs to the market. So... Um, Part of this as well was Josh Frydenberg saying that the employment was up and participation and hours worked was up because you spoke about it at the beginning of COVID too that a lot of people suffered the loss of hours. Mm. So maybe they didn't lose their job, but they were still going through financial hardship because they weren't working the same amount of hours they were used to. Yeah. One of the interesting things I thought is where the CBA guy says that riskier lending account of a 60% of applications in 2015. I'm assuming he means there that there were quite a lot of interest-only loans, yeah. and especially ones with high loan value ratios, um, 24% currently. Um, the thing with jobs, there has been more jobs added, but a lot of them are part-time jobs, they're not yeah. full-time jobs. So, But, you know, we're, we're an employer, and being an employer is hard work it's yeah it's hard work so i think a lot of the people that say oh you know that people should do this and people should do that have never run a business so um they're sort of like the people on that favorite show of ours who know nothing about the topic but are grandstanding about their knowledge of it so i think um (laughs) you know generally the the news like if you said to anyone in the world where would you like to live at the moment everyone would say australia or new zealand we're in a privileged position. Um, the housing market's strong. The economy's generally going okay. Um, if anyone's whinging at the moment, I'd, I would recommend the government give them a one-way ticket to India and let them go and hang around there for six months because I think the biggest problem we have is we've got too many whinges. <laughs> Easy. <Yeah. laughs> so. um, the next thing we are going to cover was... Uh, the consumer sentiment survey. So Westpac do these consumer sentiment surveys. Um, uh, so there's a few stats I was going to say. So um, the time to buy a dwelling index decre- decreased to uh, 107.2% in April. And that's just an index of how many people were thinking now was a great time to buy a house. Um, the price expectations from the Westpac survey ro- rose. They're adding another 2.7% in April. Uh, Victoria saw a 10.2% increase in price expectation and South Australia recorded a growth of 8.9%. So the people surveyed were expecting a much higher price uh, if they're trying to buy a house now as opposed to last Mm. year during COVID. Yeah. Um, So with with those ones, it's a bit like when when you talk to 10 of your mates and they all say they're going to the same pub and everyone goes to the same pub, it's busy. Um, And it's a bit like that. When people expect that they've got to pay more for a house they normally do because they've sort of conditioned themselves to yeah. do it um yeah at the moment um 
yeah, I suppose the thing is, you know, as the, the, the article mentioned, um, it depend, a lot of it depends on whether you're an investor or an owner-occupier as well. Like, owner-occupiers are a bit more sensitive to whether they can afford a property or whether they're going to rent. Whereas investors, it's more about are they going to make a return? Is there capital growth? Um, you can probably overpay a bit more for a rent uh, for an investment property because yeah. you've got tax depreciation and you've got the rent coming in and, and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, at the moment, like most of the people who are who've been in property for quite a while uh, are doing very well. Now, everyone will sit back and go, well, now so-and-so's got five properties or ten properties, but hats off to them. They've probably struggled to buy them and to keep them. Um, why should they be punished for doing that? Yeah. So. Okay. But um, the, other, the other thing that was in that article that was interesting was, um, you know, the big four banks all expecting the Reserve Bank to keep interest rates low for a while. Um, more interesting is that Obviously, the Commonwealth Bank people think rates are going to stay low, but they've been actually tweaking up their fixed rates. Sure. So um, it'd be interesting to see what yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the lending market looks like in five years' time, because the big four banks have captured a lot of market share. Mm. Um, they're buying up some of the smaller banks. So I think ME Bank's getting bought by I can't remember who ANZ I think. Yeah. Um, eighty six four hundred is being bought by NAB. Um, there's probably other lenders that will get swallowed up. Yeah. So, be interesting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this one is interesting, but also there's a bit of a caveat to it. The, the news during the week that um, you sent through to me too that it was interesting. So, Coolabar Capital Investments produced some forecasts uh, about where they predict house prices to rise to over the next year, like couple of years. Um, the caveat is obviously that it's based off reserve bank statistics and reserve bank figures yeah but it's their forecast independent of it so the rba came out and said this is not our official prediction this is not connected to us they've just used our forecasting and our statistics to make their own judgment um but from that the strategists of coolabar capital investments think house prices are going to rise between now and the end of 2023 by 25 percent um Obviously, like I said, the, the model they used is similar to the RBA's scenario modelling, but it's not yeah. an RBA prediction. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like an 8% rise over 2021, 1% to 15% rise for 2022, Yeah, like so the, on and so 1% on. to 15% is quite a big range. Yeah, it's pretty I think, I think generally, generally you'll have some people saying the market's going to rise and some people say the market's going to fall. Yeah. But at the moment, nearly everybody is saying the market's going to rise. Yeah. And I think at the moment, um, you know, the auction clearance rates are at record levels, which indicates a strong seller's market. Um, I think, you know, if you've been sitting on the fence, it's time to either jump one way or the other. Yeah. Um, you can't just keep sitting on the fence. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when the market was hot, people didn't buy because they thought they'd be paying too much. Then when the market was um, levelling and dropping in some areas, they didn't buy because they thought the market was going to crash. Um, generally, if you buy a property and keep it for 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to go up in value. Yeah. It's highly unlikely that property in 2041 is going to be cheaper than it is now. 
So I'd encourage people to get get your finance sorted first. Yeah. Um, a real estate agent won't even chat, won't even talk to you if your finance is not sorted. Just wasting everybody's time. Okay. Um, part of what we spoke about earlier was that the big four bank CEOs were fronting different uh, Senate inquiries and um, almost like a catch up every month with the with Parliament to talk about how the economy is going. Um, so the Matt Common, who or Coman, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it, but the the CEO of ComBank uh, was speaking about application process times, which I wanted you to sort of speak on. Which was um, he sort of acknowledged that there's a big a big uh, difference between going as a, a Commonwealth Bank customer already going into a branch and asking for a home loan. The process time to a to a yes for that was one to two days, one to two business days, whereas it was sort of an unknown, we're not sure there's too many variables for a, a broker mm. channel turnaround time. Yeah. Can you just sort of expand on yeah. what Yeah, so look, what th- this, this has been around for a while. Um, if you go into a branch um, and talk to someone, look, I, I'm not sure what they ask you. I, I yeah, don't know, I hear different things. Um, but you know, when you come to a broker, we we go spend a lot of time getting to know you, going through your info and all that sort of stuff. Um, <coughs> excuse me. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, applications going in through the broker channel. Sixty percent of all loans come through broker now. So, yeah, the banks are saying that's partly driving the slow turnarounds. They're also saying that part of the reason they're slow turnarounds is that. Um, you know, sometimes they've got to ask quite a few questions. Whereas, you know, if you go into a branch and that's all that person does. So if you go into a shop and all they do is make vanilla milkshakes, they're probably going to make a killer milkshake in a short period of time. But if you go into a shop that has 20 different drinks available, the vanilla milkshake they make may not be as good as the one at the place that only does vanilla milkshakes because that's all uh, that's all a Westpac or a Beyond Bank or a St George does. They just, they've got a limited range. They understand it well. They probably have a direct line to the person making the decision. So, and there's less volume. There's less things. If you, if you go to a road, if you're driving down the freeway and there's no one on the road, you're going to get the, you're going to get your destination quicker. And I think at the moment there's more, traffic on the broker road than there is on the direct channel road so and banks sort of don't seem to be able to move people to deal with the demand yeah maybe they don't want to i don't know i think the the senate committee look politicians they're a bit like on that favorite show of ours where they don't really know what they're talking about most of the politicians who are asking the questions would not they wouldn't have a clue what happens in the real world. Yeah. They would never have gone to a branch. They would have never have talked to a broker. It's <clears throat> it's a pointless exercise. Yeah. Like some of the stuff that, in my opinion, the CEOs are asked, it's, it was like a mutual admiration society. Like yeah. why, if someone said that you can get a loan direct in two days, but they publish their um, turnaround times and it's 20 days to go through a broker. Now, if it was me running the broking industry, which I've suggested to the head of the broking industry, I'd go to the um, ACCC, Australian Commun- Competition 
commission and just say it's unfair competition. And I think the biggest problem that the broking industry has is it's um, too willing to get beaten up. Right. It's not strong enough. It's not tough enough. It doesn't stand yeah. up for its rights. It's still. It's. It seems annoying to me too that um, there. There's been times we've covered news regarding the market share of loans for that month, mm. and how more than fifty percent of the bank's business is coming through a broker. Yeah. And I wonder why it seems like since the pandemic the banks have not done anything to there's one there was one piece of news last year i think it was nab that they sh- they closed a bunch of branches in rural areas but instead of firing those staff they put those staff into doing loan processing only mm. and that was all they did yeah or and in the call centers yeah. and helping people and, and on loan so transactions i i think I, I would love to be able to be a fly on the wall or just ask a bank person whether there'd been any action by the banks to put more people into the broker channel to speed things up because mm-hmm. it's in their interest yeah. because they'll close more, they'll accept more loans or at least get through the loans quicker mm-hmm. and make more money. Yeah, exactly. To yeah. me, that seems yeah, yeah. obvious. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, I also think it's odd, which I've mentioned to... Some of the broker guys, uh, the broker, sorry, the bank BDMs is, I would have thought if I was running a bank, um, and a loan came through, a big a big dollar amount loan came through at a low loan value ratio because the client has good equity or good savings and good income, I'd be doing them quicker. Yeah. Rather than the, you know, the ones that are really hard, I'd be taking your time on and getting those through the through the door pretty quick. Yeah. It just seems, you know, that if you've got first class loans, business class loans and economy class loans, I'd be I'd be filling it up with first class loans if I could. Okay. Um these are some of the stats coming around that had confirmed some of the things we'd spoken about. And it's been again this is sort of just confirming what was predicted last year, and Simon Presley spoken about this. Kate Bakos mentioned this when I spoke to her too, um, that a lot of suburbs around universities have suffered uh, and had higher vacancy rates mm-hmm. than rural areas where people have left the cities to go into the country towns and stuff like that. So data from Maria Insights found student suburbs where over 25% of residents were international students have suffered a combined drop in housing prices by 0.6% over the past 12 months, and the median unit prices dropped. Oh, this is specifically for Macquarie Park, which is in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Uh, the median unit price dropped 8.1% uh, for the purchase of a unit uh, in Macquarie Park. That's right near Macquarie University yeah. in the northern part of Sydney. So. Um, there's expectation that the international students will make a comeback. Yeah. The universities are pushing to try and get some of the international students to return mm-hmm. because a lot of unis are sort of running on fumes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what the timeline's going to be on yeah, that. Yeah, and no, no one really knows. And um, it's basically, you know, it's another thing of supply and demand. That you know, there's there's less demand for that product, so price is dropping. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not it's not not you know it's not like a um, uh, consumer good because you know the building's there so it's it's one of those things that um, 
you know, once they do announce some of the borders reopening with some of the bigger markets for those international students, you know, some, I'm sure, savvy investors will um, will move in and, and, you know, they'll see the opportunity. Yeah, okay. Um, we spoke about this next piece about a year ago, maybe, something like that, and there mm-hmm. was one of your good, iconic rants. I always enjoy when you have a rant. Um, yeah. Underquoting. So... Mm. We've spoken. I've spoken to a couple of news um, news agents, real estate agents locally, yep. about this, and they either don't have a lot to say about it or don't believe it's coming from any ill intention. But mm-hmm. this news came through that I thought was very interesting, so I'm going to share some quotes. Um, so underquoting is what the issue is that pro- uh, property agents have been caught intentionally underquoting the estimate property values they give to a buyer to yeah. drum up more buyers at auction because that means more money for them in their pocket as a commission at the end of things. Yeah. Um, so underquoting occurs like that. It might be that a house is on the market for the price guide is six hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars to give more people a feeling that they could competitively try and buy this house at auction, more people arrive to the auction, but the real estate agent knows the house will go for at least $900,000, which is 200,000 above the price guide. And this has been happening in Newcastle quite a bit. Um, Under Australian consumer law, this is an offence and fines can vary across Australia. Um, Fair Trading, the Department of New South Wales Fair Trading, carried out 79 inspections of real estate agents in March and April and so far identified 53 uh, breaches, issuing 37 penalty infringement notices, including 10 for underquoting, totaling totaling fines of Mm -hmm. Um, $20,000. So it's probably just good to know that something's been done about it a little bit. I think what Fair Trading could do is actually public get a bit more publicity out there about what they're doing because yeah. it's a very it just doesn't seem to be out there no. at the moment it seems to be a bit of a free-for-all if you read the sunday papers there's agents gloating about you know places going in sydney uh five six hundred thousand above reserve and yeah. they're almost doing it like a badge of honor yeah and um yeah we've got we've got in in newey at the moment like lots of places go on auction um there's one that clients of ours are hoping to bid on on saturday week the auction guide's a million dollars it'll go for at least 1.3 in my opinion and they're not accepting pre-auction offers in my opinion because they know that it's been underpriced and they don't want to get caught out so um yeah until yeah don't don't get me started on this like here it is you know there's 10 underquoting notices and the fines is $20,900 so that's an average of $2,090 now if you can get away with it and make an extra couple hundred grand for your client you're going to get a lot more business and the commission you get on the excess would probably cover that fine 10 times over yeah so it's um yeah okay we'll leave that one um Last thing we're going to cover, it's also about uh, respondable lending changes. So again, at the Senate hearings with uh, the big four bank CEOs, Shane Elliott from ANZ was asked whether he was in favour of proposed RLO changes. Um, He was talking about the benefits of maybe not having so many regulators involved in their business, which might quicken up loan times and stuff. Yep. It's 
sort of, do you mind talking about what we spoke about earlier today about some of this, there's been some arguments during the week that banks don't necessarily need the government to get involved in changing regulations to make their loan processes smoother. Yeah. They could do that themselves, but if they were to then get into some strife down the line for giving too many loans out that were too risky, they wouldn't have the government backing of, well, the government gave us permission to change our regulations and processes. Is it sort of just a... They're, they're trying to cover their arse. Well, I think so. I okay. think so. I thought that all along. That, yeah. um, you know, most of the banks complaining about you know, having to go line by line through people's bank statements, don't even ask for bank statements. So I, I can't believe that so many people have fallen for this crap. Yeah. So anyway, um, next. We've got a recording again, so we'll, we'll, we'll do this last one as well if you want to lead into this one. Yeah. So, yeah, this one was where, um, you know, the Senate estimates or the Senate committee into housing and all that sort of stuff got the big four banks in and you know had a chat with them and that sort of stuff you know if you're going to get anyone in get get someone in who understands the property market like get simon presley there get terry Ryder there get john lindeman there and actually rather than just grandstand and you know the comment about you know it's a frustration for this parliamentarian for younger people to be able to afford the things that you and I could afford when we were starting off in the workplace, it just seems like a complete and utter failure. Well, mate, you're in government. It's the government who's failed it. It's the government that set this up. It's the the government that um, has made it very hard to be a property investor. Um, you know, you, you can't really do much. You own a property, but the tenant has all the rights. Um, you have the Labor government wanting to stop negative gearing, you've um, decreased depreciation benefits, you've decreased benefits for people going to you know, view their property. That was warranted though because it was rorted, but why isn't the tax office sorting that out? Yeah. Um, it's a complete and utter failure of government um, and someone from government saying it's a failure, well, mate, go have a look in the mirror. Yeah, you've got like, to try just, to fix it. That's just crazy. Like, um, Matt Coman, the CEO of the ComBank rightly said, you know, we've got to get changes to facilitate faster planning and building of new properties. It just takes forever to achieve anything. Um, you know, we've probably got a lot of a lot of office buildings that could be reconverted to residential because they're never going to be full again, ever. So what's happening there? You need more supply. That's the problem. Yeah. So what they'll probably do is try and... Um, yeah, have more um, regulation around stopping people borrowing, but it's just not going to fix the problem. Yeah. Well, positive episode. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. It's just, it's, there's a lot happening. Yeah. As we sort of say, look, just at the moment, be really, really careful. Yeah. If we're saying to our clients, if your budget's 600, look at places up to 500 because you'll be paying at least 10 to 15% above the guide. Yeah. It's very rare at the moment to see any property selling within the guide. Yeah. It has happened a couple of times. We've had a client just buy a, an apartment at Charlestown for less than the guide. We, we're a pretty good purchase from what we can, what we can tell. Um, 
but everywhere else around the country where we've got people looking, we've got people in every state except Northern Territory. Not everyone's actively looking at the moment, but it, yeah, but you're very, the guide, yeah, add 10% add maybe a little bit more yeah, okay. and you probably probably won't be disappointed. Okay. But if you're looking to invest, don't, it's probably unlikely the best place to invest is where you live. Yeah. So get some, um, get your team to help you out. Okay. Um, if anyone wants to look up the advice episodes, the one with Kate Hill has just been posted. So if you want to check that out and follow us on all the podcasting platforms, you can find out more about what uh, Dave and I do at Money Saver Home Loans on Facebook and moneysaverhomeloans.com.au on uh the internet on the internet yeah um just one thing we just mentioned about um turnaround times we just got an email from our friendly people at my state bank who are based in tassie um their turnaround time at the moment is two days so the question i'd be asking if i was on that senate committee is how come mr a and z your turnaround times 28 days for a simple application and my state yours is two days yeah and i'd be saying to Mr. Combank, how come your turnaround time is 25 days or 20 days, yeah. but Macquarie Bank's or um, 86400, your turnaround time is less than a day, but then you'll get bought by NAB and it'll be 30 days. Go figure. And with that, yep, thanks good night, for listening. everybody. <laughs> <laughs>